with Kojo's Trick Lab and that, I've tried to set up my life in a way where I can dedicate the time to my training that I need to, to be able to keep going till I'm 40. What's up guys, today's guest is a professional tricker and the owner of Kojo's Trick Lab. Please welcome to the Jamcast, Mr. Sam Kojo Plummer. What's up, man? Yo, pleasure, pleasure to finally be on the Jamcast. Dude, thank you so much for taking the time out of your Friday night. For those that don't realize that we're in different parts of the world right now, I think the time difference is, what, eight hours between us? Yeah, I think so. Where are you currently, uh, where are you currently at right now during this pandemic? Where are you staying at? Uh, I'm at my parents' house in Birmingham. It's been, yeah, it's been weird because I moved out of the, the house share I was in, the Tricker house, and got a, got a camper van so I could travel around Europe, like, full time. And then right before, like, leaving, then all of this coronavirus happened. So now I'm kind of just stuck at my parents' house again. It's weird. Oh, man, that's like a, a forced moving back in with the parents. That's crazy. It's kind of a blessing in disguise, though, because it's a chance to, like, spend time with the family but not have to feel bad about it. I don't have to feel like a, a bum who's just living at their parents because I don't have a choice. So... <laughs> Yeah, you're like saving money, but it's a lockdown. So, you know, that's why I'm there. And that's kind of funny, man. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about just briefly was that van, because I don't know if you know this, um, not a lot of people do, but I've actually been really looking into buying a full van conversion and doing something very similar. Yeah, I'm at this weird point in my life right now, man. Uh, so how long have you had your van? And what was your plan? Where were you going to travel before this all hit? Well, I've not had it for long, really. I've had it since, like, June last year. Okay. And it was already... So it was already fully converted, but I got it pretty cheap, and it needed some, like, touching up and stuff. Like, the electrics don't work so great. So <laughs> there's a couple of things that need sorting. But um, me and my uh, girlfriend, Scar, we went to France for, like, a month, and then Spain for a month last uh, autumn, or fall, in America. Okay. Yeah, and um, and she broke her ankle, so that kind of ruined our plans for a bit. <laughs> and then, when we're finally ready to go traveling again, then this happens. Of course, of course. So, did you actually spend any time ever living in the van, even if it was just a few days or anything like that? We did two months. Okay. Yeah, and I liked it. I liked it. I could see myself doing a lot more of it. Like it's hard for sure, but. I like just being able to wake up in a different place and just always be moving around. It's really nice. Yeah, that's the most appealing thing to me is just like the mobility of being able to do stuff. And as long as you have like, you know, a 5G signal or Wi-Fi or something, hopefully life is kind of normal. Do you, does, your have, does your build out have a full kitchen and bathroom inside or what's inside of yours? Yeah, it's got um, yeah kitchen and bathroom and then the bed. And that, that's pretty much it. There's you can kind of turn the front seats around so we can put a table out and uh, yeah, Scar, she, she works in the van. She like teaches English online and I normally just work at coffee shops and stuff when we're traveling. So it's all right. It, it works and uh, it's even got a shower actually. Yes. But yeah, we didn't really use that because it seems like a good idea, but when you're in a shower that's like this big, I know it's easier to just find somewhere to go shower. I'm glad I'm asking you these questions. This is kind of like my checklist of like, should I do this or not? So I'm asking you, and then uh, I don't know if you know the free runner Dominic Hughes, but yeah, he's I been currently. 
Yeah, he's been living out of his van, and I'm like, dang, I need to pick both of your brains and see if this is a decision I should make or not. Well, see, the big difference with his is, like, his van's really nice, but you can't stand up in it. I was worried about having a van that I couldn't stand up in. I think that's, like, that was a big thing for me. Yeah. But after seeing his, I don't know, maybe, like, keeping it really simple would be good. You can park in more places, you know? Yeah, I definitely want one that I can stand up in, too, because I feel like... If I'm going to be in a confined space, I want it to be the biggest confined space possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, having a van, having a van at a, tricker gathering, a tricking gathering is perfect as well. That's like a game changer. I went to Scottish Power Gathering last summer, and it meant that we could park up right by the gym. So I can chill with everyone. I can party. I don't have to go off to like a hotel that's far away. I don't have to worry about that. And I can chill till as late as I want. And then I have my own bedroom and bed and all of my stuff right there. No one wakes me up in the morning. There's no, like, music in the gym or anything. It, it's perfect for tricking gatherings. Yeah, that's so funny. I, and part of the appeal of why I want it is because I'm always, like, working on film sets, on locations all the time. And we're in, like, random places all over. And I just want to have a place where I could just go back to and just close the door and be like, oh, I, I can make some food. I can chill out. I can relax. So, dude, that's funny. Tricking gatherings is a game changer. Well, and um, just with, yeah, if you go into like different sets and stuff, it's weird because when you cover all the windows and you like turn everything off ready to go to sleep, no matter where you are, it always just feels like you're in your bedroom. So you get that feeling of being at home because it's exactly the same no matter where you are. Like, yeah, that's a big thing that I noticed because I thought I'd kind of feel on edge all the time about being in different places. But yeah, once you cover the windows, you could be anywhere. (laughs) Yo, so so all of you around the world are at jam. If you see me pull up with a van, it's Kojo's fault. He's convincing me right now. <laughs> oh, man. And yo, so one of the questions that I got to ask you just, just off the back end of that, which is unrelated to vans, but it's something I just got to knock off right away. Where did Kojo come from? What, what's the meaning behind Kojo and, uh, and how long have you been going by that for? My middle name. <laughs> so it's actually your middle name. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's my middle name. It means born on a Monday. Because I was born on a Monday, you know. Uh, I don't know who's... I don't even know what language it's meant to mean that in. I just know my dad had a friend who was called Kojo. So I guess I've named after him. And I just thought, like, getting into tricking as well. I think it started when I first put out, like, my first couple of samplers. I was like, there's so many Sams. There's plenty of Sams out in the world. Like, why don't I use this middle name I got, Kojo? And then over time, like, that's just become, like, my main name now. Like, more, way more people call me that than Sam, so. That's so funny. Yeah, like, for as long as I've known you in the community, it's always been Kojo. And, like, no one would have, I would have never known that was your actual middle name till right now. That's wild. <laughs> that's so. Memorable. <laughs> that's pretty f- that's pretty funny, man. That makes that makes a lot of sense, and and it's very rare. It stands out, and especially like you said, in a in a environment that's so saturated with media and clips nonstop. Like to have a unique name like that stands out, just like Omid, even though obviously it's part of his last name. <laughs> well, is that name? That was also that was from me. So when I started calling him that. He hated it for about a year and a half. He hated it when I called him it, but then eventually he kind of gave in, and then just. Yeah, became that name, and then he just became that in tricking. And I th- he likes it now, but for a long time, he really didn't like me calling him that. 
<laughs> that's so funny. You just like forced a nickname on, on one of your homies. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's stuck for both of you. <laughs> that's so crazy, man. And so um, I guess there's so much that I want to cover with you and your influence that you've had on the sport and stuff like that. But I know that one of the things that is kind of funny that we bring up, you know, Alex, is that you guys have been recently doing your own kind of live interviews and podcasts and stuff like that. So I don't want to talk about the same things and reiterate stuff that people could could listen on your own platform. So hopefully this will be a little bit more about you and your own journey and everything you've done. So how long have you been officially tricking for and how did you get introduced to the sport? Okay, interesting question. I was thinking about this one, like how to, how to answer it best. And I think, I think we need to go all the way back to the very beginning. So I feel like before I even knew about tricking, I was kind of always a tricker at heart. I know that I always wanted to do crazy flips and kicks and stuff. I just never really, like when I was a kid, I'd seen flips in movies, but obviously there was no like YouTube back then. It wasn't just really easy to see people do like tricks all the time. So I just thought that I couldn't learn it. I was like, oh, you need to be trained from when you're like five years old to be able to do that. There's no way. And there's, I've still got this book, this like textbook, um, in religious studies at school, when I was 12 years old, we had to draw our idea of heaven. And I drew a crash mat and a wall because I was like, I could learn a backflip then. And that's, <laughs> I drew, that's what I drew as my idea of heaven, just a, a crash mat. I was like, I could learn so many flips. <laughs> I, could, I could do anything off that. That was, all, that was all I ever wanted. And then not too long after that time, then my mom got me like a little trampoline. So when I was like 12, I had like an eight foot trampoline. It was tiny. And I learned a front flip on there and then eventually got a 12 foot trampoline. And I didn't like train. I used to just go on it and do front flips and back flips. I didn't really know about other flips or anything. And then when I was like 15, learned a back flip in my garden, uh, using the mattress from my bed, like dragged it outside, got it on there. And then my mom found me um, an open gym session. And from there, that's when it just went, crazy since then in fact what day is it 29th of may so yeah. in about two weeks then it will have been 10 years since that day when i learned my first backflip because i remember it's the 14th of june 2010 that's when it all started that's crazy that you remember the date i have no idea when the first day i landed a trick was that's wild <laughs> well that one i just see it as like maybe the most significant day in my life because before that, I did, like, flip around on the trampoline, but it was never a thing. I was just kind of, like, going to school, hanging out with friends and stuff like that. But after I learned backflip, then I was practicing flips, like, any chance I could get up until now. The only time I've ever not been training is if my body really needs to rest or if I'm injured. There hasn't been any other period in the last 10 years where I've not been focused on, like, flips as the primary goal in my life. It's still number one. It's above, like my business or anything else. It's the most important thing in my life. Damn, man, that is crazy, man. Talk about true passion. And so like, like you kind of mentioned, you, it, you couldn't really be exposed to a lot of flips and stuff back in the day. So do you remember what it was that put it in your head that you like even wanted to flip? Was it like, was it a specific show you seen at one point or like someone in person do a backflip? Like that's a pretty big commitment from early on. Yeah, there was, um, I'm sure I'd seen it on like shows and stuff. So I already thought, I remember always thinking that like backflips were cool and stuff like that. 
But I did see this um, dance performance just in the city. I don't know how old I was, probably under 10 when I was a kid. And a guy did a backflip in that. And I remember being blown away. Like, I'm sure that was the first time I saw a backflip in person. And like since then, I always just, I just always thought flips were really cool. And I remember just whenever it came up at school, like, what would you like to do? What's on your bucket list? And the first thing I thought of was always, like, do a backflip. That was always... But I just didn't know how to go about doing it. I, I didn't really know where to start. Yeah, dude, I, I, I'm the same way. Like, when I, I kind of had a martial arts background, so I'd done some tricks and stuff, but backflip was one of the ones I wanted to do, too. And I, I remember my first time, I just kept doing them off a diving board into a pool over and over again. And I was like, yo, can I make it? And my friends were like, yeah. I'm like, drive me to the park right now. And they literally, I got out of the pool wet. We drove to a park and I just hucked one and I landed it. And I was like, okay, guys, I'm in the game now. <laughs> I'm in the game. Where was, where was your first backflip? Was that that open gym? And was anyone spotting you or how did you land it your first time? Well, the, the first one was before I ever went to the open gym. Okay. So okay. It's weird because I get a lot of people asking me for tips on flips and stuff like that. And I always thought as a kid, I, I thought... I think in a bit of a different way. I know that because before I started like training any of this, then I kind of had a pretty methodical approach. I've always had to like break things down like that. So when I did actually get backflip, what I did was uh, stand on the bar on the edge of my trampoline and do it onto the bed in the middle. Because I knew I'm taking off something that's not bouncy and I'm like not going, not, um, not going off a drop or anything. Yeah. So if I can do that, then I, that convinced me that I could do it. And then I did it on the mattress, and then I did it from the mattress to the grass, and then on the grass. So yeah, I, I started doing progressions even then, which is weird. Dude, that is super cool, man. And, and honestly, you're pretty lucky that your mom was supportive of that, because I know that would drive some, some parents crazy that you're out here just trying to huck yourself around in the backyard, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think she'd just seen how much, um, just how much time I spent always going out on the trampoline and when I landed my first backflip, I was so excited. For, I was talking about it nonstop for like two weeks because I was 15 at the time. So I was just so excited about it. And I couldn't stop backflipping everywhere we went in like yeah. the supermarket, just anywhere. I'd just be doing a backflip. And um, <laughs> yeah, then she found that open, open gym. And she used to take me and my mom used to wait for me at the session because it was kind of too far away for her to go home and come back. It was about a 40 minute drive. And the session was an hour and a half. So she'd wait the whole time and then drive me back for the first month or so. So, yeah, I really appreciate that she did that because it got me started. But then after that, then it was me just getting like two buses and a long walk every time there and back. But it was worth it. I was just I loved it. I loved every second I could be in the gym. Man, that's amazing. So you're pretty much like a real tricker because a lot of us had like a martial arts background that somewhat exposed us to vertical access kicks or like, you know, when I did Kung Fu growing up, we obviously learned butterfly kick and butterfly twist is like kind of part of Wushu and Kung Fu. So you literally just walked right into tricking as as not having done anything, right? Not, not quite because when I first went to the gym, oh, that that's a funny story actually. So there was a guy there who did tricking called Dan Fu. He was like, this old school tricker back then. He could do a standing flash kick, but he used to do it like on a crash mat. And I remember seeing that, him doing a standing flash kick on a crash mat. And I was like, there is no way I'll ever be able to learn that. He's like splitting his legs and it's even harder to do it on a crash mat than the floor. How's he doing that? So I just thought, 
oh, there's no way I could learn tricking. I'm going to do free running. No <laughs> so, so I just did flips off stuff for a long time. And I'm, I didn't think that I could actually learn tricking. It just seemed too hard at the time. But over the course of like a year, I kind of moved over to tricking. So I did do free running to start with and like parkour. No way. That is so funny. Well, and to be fair, though, I guess one of the things that may lend it lend to it and, and maybe you can speak on this or not was back then, though, I guess 10 years ago, 2010, uh, parkour was pretty massive in Europe, especially in the UK. So I'm sure like you kind of just were more exposed to parkour as opposed to tricking. Yeah, there are way more um, like people doing parkour at the gym than there were trickers. There was just that one guy and he could do like a B-twist and a flash kick. So I wasn't seeing that much tricking from the start. But one crazy thing, like the second week I ever went to gym, Damian Walters was there. Oh, no way. In Birmingham, of all places. Wow. He just showed up at the gym, like the first time, well, in the first couple weeks. And he was one of the only people I'd ever seen, like on YouTube. So that was really surreal for me, like seeing him do triple backs and yeah, just mad stuff. That's pretty crazy that he was even over there because, I mean, he's... He's got access to his own gym and stuff, you know, as we all know of. So that's pretty awesome. Well, it was, um, I mean, the gym that I first used to train at is like a pretty, it's a really good gym. They train like the GB squad and stuff there. In ah. It's like, a, it's a really nice one. That is crazy, man. I can't believe that you did parkour before. That's too funny. Thank, thank goodness that I, on behalf of the community, we're thankfully you found tricking, dude. <laughs> My parkour is the, the most stiff parkour you could imagine because just, just the way I approach stuff, I've never been good at like being able to just kind of feel things out. So I was always like <laughs> doing these robotic jumps between things. <laughs> yeah, just so doing f- everything like a robot. <laughs> and, and before even the, the, the parkour and the backflips, had you played any other sports or done any other sort of martial arts or anything leading up to it? This may have lended to athleticism. Not really. I did I did judo for a while, but not like nothing with striking. And um, I did I went to trampoline lessons, but they were it was like once a week, and I was being taught by someone who couldn't do a flip on a trampoline. So it was kind of it was a bit of a waste of time. You know? That's the best, right? If, if you can't do, just teach. <laughs> well, because of that as well, because of going to those classes. That really changed the way I thought about like what I can offer when when I teach classes because I don't teach yes. in-person classes anymore really apart from like workshops. But when I used to teach at the gym, I thought the most important thing like above trying to get the technique across to the kids, just trying to get the kids to understand that if they want to put a load of work in, they can get really good. Because I, I don't remember anyone ever telling me that. Like if someone had just told me, you know, if you really practice this trampoline stuff, you'll get really good at it. Like, no one ever actually said that to me. And any kid with a garden trampoline as well, I tell them, I'm like, you know, you could get to, you could do like quad falls and stuff. You just build it up half a twist at a time, just practice loads and you can actually do that. And I think that's the biggest thing, just actually knowing that it's something you can achieve. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I think it's too hard when you see it from an outside perspective to understand that there's like levels of progression. We just see like the end product of the move and we're like, I don't even know what the hell that was, you know, like let alone how to break it down. So that's so funny, man. And so how long, when you first got into it, I guess, and you first started going to those open gyms, how many days a week were you training and how long was it into your tricking career until you were kind of like clicking like, oh, 
I'm starting to get better at this. This is starting to make a little bit more sense to me. Mm. So I always, um, I always train quite a lot because I had the trampoline at home. Then I'd just be, I, I think I was doing flips like every day, really. I, can, I can't really remember having much of a routine. Like I know there are three gym sessions a week and I'd be at all of those and I'd do flips on the trampoline and some stuff on grass. But it was when I got to college, which was about a year later, well, like our college, which is like high school, I guess, 16 to 18. Okay. Then um, I had a lot more free time because it wasn't just like a full day of classes. I had classes at different times and also I could like not go to classes yeah. to train. <laughs> But when, when that came about, then that's when Nathan, Nathan Salmon opened UTX. So it all kind of lined up right. I suddenly had way more time, and there was this new tricking gym that had opened like much closer to my house as well, about 25 minutes away. Yes. So I used to have this routine where I'd get up, and I'd go and train at 7 a.m., and I'd train on bark, bit like wood chippings, because it had really good grip compared to like grass, because the grass is always wet in the morning. So I'd just drill like one move in the morning for about half an hour, 40 minutes on the wood chippings. And then on my lunch break, then I'd have like an hour, hour and a half session, depending on how much time I had on some other bark chippings near my, near my college or grass if it was good enough weather. And then after that, then I'd go to the gym and train on a spring floor. And I'd do that pretty much every day. Yeah, I'd have like three sessions a day for, for those years. Yeah. Holy crap. That's, that's a lot of sessions. I, that's a lot of sessions now, but I think it's just because I'm older. I think back when I was younger, I used to try to session like two to three times a day too. Yeah, when you're just a kid, changed. You, can, you can manage it somehow. <laughs> For reals, yeah, I was talking about that so much recently with friends of mine that we've been getting back into parkour outside and we'll do like one outside session and we're smoked off for like three days. <laughs> we're like, this is not an efficient way of training. We're taking too many days off. Well, yeah, just par- parkour as well. I don't know how, I don't know how the older parkour athletes do it. I, I don't know how they keep flipping off really high things when they're like in their late twenties, getting into their thirties. I think Eric, um, he's like thirty now. He's thirty, yeah, and I'm older than Eric, bro. <laughs> um, it just like I see old videos of, of myself flipping off really high things. I'm like, no way would I ever do that now. I just wouldn't be able to walk. I'd just be out. I like just landing in the exact same way. That'll be me done for at least a couple of weeks. Yeah, I could attest to it, man. It's it's a lot easier to train on the spring floor. Like the recovery time is so much quicker on the spring floor compared to the concrete. It's it's really hitting me hard the last couple of years. Do you try and um, do you mainly do stuff lower down than you used to? Bro, I'm all about the style now. <laughs> Style parkour, style baby. Style parkour. Yeah. <laughs> I do a lot of rolls and a lot of different weird stuff. It's just like stylistic. I'm not even trying to do the triples. I'm not trying to do the high drops anymore. I'm not trying to do the high Just keep moving, man. Just keep moving, man. It's smarter. You get to, I don't know, longevity is the key, really. Like, so well, since breaking my ankle a couple of years ago, I've really been focusing on that, like playing the long game. Not thinking how good can I be in six months, but how good can I be in like five, ten years? Because I'd like to be able to still be going like pretty hard, improving in some way. It doesn't need to be power tricks, but always I want to keep improving yes. like into my forties. Yeah, I mean in some way, like even yeah. if it's just cleaning isn't, up. Isn't Mateo like forty? I think like there, there's a couple of trickers I know of that that are in their forties. They're still pushing pretty damn hard. It's pretty impressive to see. Yeah, I think Mateo's. I think Mateo's thirty-seven now. Okay. okay. Which, 
considering what like what he's doing, it's pretty pretty impressive. And I don't think because people always assume that trickers just have to stop. And I know I think if you don't look after your body right, then that is the case. Or if you're just unlucky and you just have like a really bad injury. But I think if you have a bit of luck on your side and you have the will to like recover and also like long term planning, like with Kojo's Trick Lab and that, I've tried to set up my life in a way where I can dedicate the time to my training that I need to to be able to keep going till I'm 40. So I've set up my life in a way where, like today, I did my job, but I've also stretched for over two hours and I've got time in the day to do that. I've got time in the day to do kick drills. I've had a bath today. I've had a run. I've got time to do like all of the things I need to do to maintain my body and like keep progressing even as it gets harder getting older. And I think um, looking at it in a holistic way like that, I don't know, that, that's just my approach. I think that would work out quite well, kind of setting up my life so that I can do what I need to. Because a lot of people, like life gets in the way so they can't do the things they need to do to keep going. Well, I'm trying to like guide my life towards being able to do what I need to do. No, dude, it, it's totally what you just said is probably one of the truest things that's been said. And I hope the kids really take that advice to heart because, you know, just speaking from a personal perspective and talking about some of my good friends like Anise and Danny Graham, those guys are in incredible shape. I mean, Danny Graham's still walking around with the eight pack. You know what I'm saying? Physically, he's super in shape. And I think, like you said, it just what happens to us is that life gets in the way. You know, he's when we're off on these movies and stuff, we don't have the opportunity to train and trick like we used to we're stuck on set and then he's got a family with two kids now so i think just the time allocation is just completely different than like you said when you were at university 16 to 20 skipping classes training all day you know that's the dream world yeah do those guys do they still trick much so i always wonder like how because you see the odd clip but i'm like i just wonder how much they train so they don't they don't get to go to the gym as often, especially right now during the lockdown. But I will say this, when they are in town, they sneak into the gym as much as they can. I'll literally be at home on the cameras and be like, whoa, Danny's at the gym right now? And they just sneak in there and just do these little sessions on their own. And, and the people that are lucky enough to be there that night are just like blown away because they haven't fallen off skill-wise at all, to be honest with you. And, and that's one of the things I can tell you is like from someone that's significantly older than you, uh, I feel like right now at my age, I'm actually uh, physically peaking. Like my muscles are finally building faster than usual. When I was younger, I just was a skinny kid that couldn't put on mass. And so I think like as males, we don't even peak till we're like, you know, 30 to 34. So if you keep up with the regimen you're doing now, you'll be killing the game, you know? That, that's what I hope. I mean, look at Will Coney's. Will Coney's is 30. Mm -hmm. and he's, he was trying double, double leg on the floor hooked like <laughs> 30 and he was just like, <laughs> it's pretty impressive when you see certain guys you're like wow it is possible it's just like you said it just comes down to if you are able to maintain that same schedule and not let life get in the way of things you know and, and i also think like having a focus on technique as well is a really big thing because like like you said with um like danny and anise part, part of that why they can still do like a lot of the stuff they could do is probably because their technique's so refined because you can kind of have a trick consistent, but unless you actually make the conscious effort to make the, your technique really good, it doesn't just get really good, you know? <laughs> that's, that's something that I didn't quite realize before. I used to just work, that's another motivator for me starting Kojo's Trick Lab, 
because I used to work really hard. Like I said, I, I trained like three times a day. I was putting in so much time, so much effort, but I didn't have a clue about technique. So for the first few years, I didn't, like, I got stronger and I progressed at a decent rate, but not that fast, like nowhere near most your average kid today. Like, it took me a while to get decent. I wasn't doing dub-dub until, yeah, I'd been training like a, at least four years. But I just didn't understand technique. And if I had, I would have learned things way faster. It took me seven months to get an aerial. And I, I've taught it to a 55-year-old in 20 minutes because yes. using the right progressions for it. So, 100%, man. That's so funny that you talk about that, that it took you so long to learn tricks that are easy and stuff. But, you know, before, before like modern technology where you could watch stuff on your phone and see it in playback and slow-mo... I think, like you said, a lot of kids just thought if they did more reps, they would inherently get cleaner, but it's not that. You have to like purposely train techniques specifically, and I tell this story all the time. I've told it a couple times on the Jamcast here, where um, literally, uh, when I lived with Anise back in the days, he would literally have me just sit here, and he would stand where you are, and he would just do spin hook kicks for an hour or two hours in a row, and he would just have me go, that was good, that was a little off, that was good, and I'm like... This is a niece. He doesn't need to work on a spin hook kick, but even still, you know, he was still training just spin hook kick, spin hook kick for hours at a time. Um, that's awesome. That's what I'm trying to trying to do with my kicks at the moment. Well, since like the start of 2020, I've been ju- just putting in like loads of time into doing basic kicks because I've never been good at them. Because one big thing for me is like when I started doing flips, I was quite powerful because I didn't do a sport like any particular sport really like I played a bit of field hockey but I was just pretty fit when I was like a teenager I used to do push-ups all the time I just liked like moving I was always climbing trees and bouncing on trampolines and sprinting around so I was quite powerful but I wasn't flexible at all and because of that it's made it made learning some of the tricks really hard and my kicks as well like having no one teach me they've always been pretty bad but I'm trying to like fix that now and dude, it's impressive to me though, after after having this interview with you and knowing that the only thing you did martial arts wise was judo, it's pretty impressive that you are actually taking the time and dedicating it to learning kicks and variations with kicks. Because honestly, in my personal opinion, that's what makes tricking so much harder than a lot of other sports like parkour is that the implementation of kicks is a whole technique system in itself separate from flipping. And so the fact that you're doing it on your own is incredible, dude. Well, at least I've got all those tutorials now. Exactly. It's kind of like, I don't know, sometimes I feel like I'm being a bit bit cheeky with it. But when I want to learn a move or like refine a technique, then I can just hit up people on the Kojo's Trick Lab account and be like, oh, can you make a tutorial for this? The, the members would like, would like one. So, you know, when really it's just for me. But everyone else can enjoy it as well. That is so funny, man. And that's like a perfect segue uh, to kind of talk about one of the things that you're most well known for in this community and one of the major contributions. And in fact, like to this day, like, I don't know if I've ever told you, but people hit me up on the jam account all the time and they ask like, how do we get into tricking? Where can I start? And I literally just send them to your website all the time. I'm like, yo, here's a great way. You can check out some free tutorials online, but if you want to get into it, here's one of the few programs that exist. So go check it out and stuff. And what I'm referring to that for those that aren't in the tricking community or aware of what we're talking about, uh, which is Kojo's Trick Lab, which is an online interactive platform where people can go online, look up tutorials, watch videos, have uh, conversations with you on certain certain premises and stuff. And if I'm not mistaken, you guys launched December 14, 2017? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. December 14, 2017. And back then, you only started with 40 tutorials. Can you let the people know now how many tutorials are on the site and what Kojo's Trick Lab is to you? Okay, so we've got over... I haven't counted recently, but I know there's over 350 tutorials and over 850 videos total. And also there's a full-length film on there as well, uh, big, made by Sean Silvestri, which is about the 2017 Tricking Tour. And it's, yeah, that, that's one of the things that I'm happiest about having on there too, because it's so, it just really adds to the site having a whole film, as well as all these tutorials, and there's over 200 mindset talks, and yeah, we've just got a lot on there. I, I didn't expect it to to get this big really <laughs> that's so funny man and what was it that actually spurned you into creating this resource you know what was it that actually made you make the decision to consciously push forward with making your own website and making this trick lab well it was a lot of different things coming together really like i always just for me coaching kids and and, and adults as well who are trying to learn tricking and me making one of the key things was me trying to instill that mindset that you can get really good at this if you want to, if you put in the work and you like think about your technique and all of that and seeing how huge of a difference it can make, seeing people learn tricks that took me months in a session made me realize like, yo, if I get, if I get this information out there and if I get better at like how I deliver the information, if I get really good at this, because I feel like there are some good tricking tutorials on YouTube but they're just not that good. I feel like it can be taken to another level. But there's no, there's no reason to do that on YouTube. Because if I release like a really, really in-depth tutorial that's like 20 minutes long that covers all bases, that like really gets down into it, it's not going to get anywhere near as many views as one that's like, learn this trick in four minutes or something. Yeah. So yeah. I felt like, yeah, the there needed to be a place for that. Like YouTube isn't really the place for it. It doesn't fund it. Like the amount that I've had to spend on all of these videos, we'd need to be getting like at least 10 million views per month totally. if I was doing it for YouTube. And would I be able to get 10 million views per month on niche tricking content? But, um, but yeah, that's not what actually led me to start it. That's me going off about other things. What led me to start it was loads of people messaging me, always asking me for tips. And I, I like responded to as many as I could. And then I realized there's so many people messaging me asking for advice that if I just charge a bit and have online students, then I can give them way more time. And also it means I can reduce hours at my job so that I can train more. So that's what I did like for starters. I just used to have like 20 online students. And then so I didn't keep explaining the same things again and again, I started making these little videos that helped. And then I thought, well, what if we had a platform to put these videos on so I didn't have to manually get people to send me the monthly payments and all the videos are there and all the payments are sorted there. And then I thought, well, for the tricks I'm not good at, I can pay other people to make tutorials on them. And um, Jordan Funk, who's another UK tricker, I think you met him. He was at Jam Gathering. Yeah, I know who he is. Yeah, yeah, I totally know who he is. Well, we talked about it because he's like more experienced with web development stuff so we like partnered on it and he he like made the website for it and um yeah we, we just went from there really i think one of the key things was just me knowing that because i hold myself to high standards and i hold other people to high standards when it comes to tutorials i just thought i can do certain moves but i can't i'm not good enough at them to teach them 
Like, I don't have a cart double fall tutorial for me because I don't think my cart double fall is very good. But I, I've done cart triple fall pop flash, but I still don't think my cart double fall is good enough. And you see a lot of people on YouTube, like, teaching cork, and it's like, if you, but they can't even swing out of a cork. And I'm like, well, you've yeah. only got a very basic level of cork. If you can't even swing it, like, I didn't have much knowledge about a cork when I landed triple cork. It just goes so much deeper. So, yeah, the whole goal with it was to just get expert information, really, to get people who really know what they're talking about to teach their specialism. Yeah. Hell yeah, Hell yeah, dude. dude. I, and I, you know what? That's, that's something you should be applauded for because, like you said, there's a lot of people that are out there teaching stuff that aren't necessarily in the position that should be teaching things. And, uh, and it's really cool for you to, you know, be humble enough to take a step back and really rely on other people to be their own experts. You know, like when I, when I first opened my first gym, white Lotus back in like 2009, 2010, uh, this was back when there, you know, that's when you just learned your first backflip basically in 2010. Right. So during that time, there were very few of us that were actually tricking and doing stuff like that. Um, and even still though, I didn't feel comfortable teaching classes at my gym. I was like, yeah, I can do a bunch of tricks. I can double cork. I can do doubles and stuff, but I'm not in a position in my own personal standpoint where I'm, I'm happy with my tricks. So I sought out, you know, what's crazy. A lot of people don't know is if they weren't around was you could go to white Lotus back in the days and you could take tricking class from Anise, Danny Graham and Jeremy Marinas. And I was like, these are the best three coaches that I can think of. Like, <laughs> um, and, and it was surreal though, but it was from the same perspective of you, which is like, I think that there are some people that are way more uh, experienced and, and better to teach these subjects. And so it's cool that you're doing the same thing with your platform. Yeah, I think just knowing how much you don't know is a, a really important thing, especially when it comes to teaching tricking. Because that's why if people ask me for advice on something that I don't know that much about, like maybe if I've heard maybe if I'm sure about a couple of points, I'll give them some advice. But most of the time I tell them like, I'm not an expert in that move. So you'd be better off asking someone who is an expert in it. Because even though it can seem harmless, sometimes you think you're giving the right advice when really you're holding someone back for years. Like Omid, Omid's an example of that. Him teaching me, because I, I couldn't touch down raise, touch down I'm just gonna bring that up. <laughs> do that for the longest time. But he told me, he was always telling me to just kick your leg back like a Webster, like really blast the leg back because that's how he did it. Every time I did that, though, it just lifted me way off the ground because I was kicking back like a Webster. It's oh, like if you tried to do a cartwheel, kicking your leg back like an aerial, you'd barely be touching the floor. So, yeah, that kind of held me back, even though he was trying to help. And because of that, then I'm like, I want to be careful with the advice I give. I want to make sure it's correct. And just the amount I've learned from like constantly making videos, teaching tricks and watching every single one of these 800 plus videos and editing loads of them, I, I realized that even when I started the website, I knew barely anything. And I know way more now, which makes me think, how much could I know in 10 years time? I think tricking coaching is going to be a whole different world 10 years from now because there's so many tools and techniques we can use to teach that no one's doing yet. There's so much to be discovered. I can totally agree with that. And it's funny, I was going to bring up the touchdown raise because I remember there's a post on your page that says like the best feeling in the world is being able to like look back at tricks and realize that you've like made them better. And I think you said that it took you six years to like perfect your TD raise, which is a long time. I'm still, I'm still working on it all the time. <laughs> it, and, it still pisses me off to be honest. But um, 
No, it, it was like I spent six years being really bad at it and it would like just destroy my wrist and I just didn't understand it at all. And then it genuinely was the tutorials I got for KTL that made me like get how to do it, like get a start anyway. Uh, uh, Alexander's tutorial, Alexander Anderson, that taught me kind of what to do with my arms, like for learning it. He said to keep your arms like super wide, like training wheels when you're learning. And that made it start to click. And then Mike Guthrie as well had this one tip about spotting your right arm for as long as you can as the left's going behind you. And that made it work way better. And then I just used those tips, did it a thousand times, recorded the process because I feel like when you're trying to do a challenge like that, it keeps you accountable. It keeps you working on it. Because in the past, I'd just get, I'd just get mad at it. I'd spend whole sessions just working on that one trick and I'd just get pissed off. And it came to a point where I was like, it's been six years. Should I just quit trying this trick? <laughs> just stay with the other setup moves instead. That's so funny, man. That that's wild to hear. But it's it's honestly it speaks to a lot of, of why people probably continue to listen to your advice and, and go to Kojo's Trick Lab because you know, even someone like yourself, you're not trying to claim to be an authoritative figure that's the end all be all expert on it. You're literally drawing upon the expertise from some gigantic names in the tricking community like you just named, Alexander Anderson, you know, Michael Guthrie, those Two, two of the first guys in the world to quad cork and are obviously premier trickers in, in the world. Uh, how, do you know how many trickers you have on KTL besides yourself? Do you know, do you know that number? It's, um, I know it's over 100. Wow. I think it was over 100, yeah. Okay. And, and I don't need to get into the specifics of the economics and stuff like that, but just so people can understand the inner workings of it. And I know that back in the day, you'd released a video about why you have to even charge for Kojo's Trick Lab in the first place, which is ridiculous because it's such a, a minimal amount of money for the amount of knowledge you can gain. But uh, just to reiterate it on here to people that didn't see that video, um, in order to gain these tutorials, are you paying for them? How are you coming about them? And how are you able to get so many guys involved in uh, you know throwing tutorials on your site? So um, yeah, paying, paying for all the tutorials. I try to pay everyone, even because I get people like offering me saying, oh, I'll do a tutorial for you for free. But I make a point to like, try to really pay everyone. I think there's probably a couple of people in the first six months that maybe did it for free, but in the last couple of years anyway, then I've always made a point of paying people, even if, even if they say they'll do it for free. And when I started it, luckily, because I've been to so many gatherings and traveled around a lot, I have a lot of friends in the tricking community. So I was able to get some pretty big names to make some videos to start us off. Like People like Nick Fry made videos at the very start for like pretty cheap. So over time, then I, I pay people a lot more. Like compared to what I paid Nick Fry when he first made a video, I like I pay him like three times as much now per video. So yeah, we spend a lot more on the videos than I used to, but it's all funded by the members of the site, and it costs in pound in UK in British pounds, it's ten pounds a month. I think in dollars, that's about like thirteen dollars a month. Yeah. So yeah. we've kept the same price since starting it keeping it as cheap as possible and yeah yeah i don't know i'm trying to make it a good thing in the tricking community i want it to be a really positive thing that's more important to me than it making loads of money because i think i'll do other things in the future that will make make more money for me so the focus with this is to really just make it a really good thing for tricking and people who are like me kids who don't really have anyone telling them that they can get really good but they're prepared to put in the work and they don't understand the technique. So it's for those, those people, really. 
Yeah, man. And and I can, and I, I got to, again, thank you so much for everything you've done for the community. And, and just what you said right there about, you know, being a positive more than a moneymaker is, is exactly the same position I had when I opened my gyms and stuff. A lot of people assume that I like, uh, I, you know, I, a lot of people assume that the life I live, like the Tesla I drive is because of jam and all that. And it's not, I literally work my butt off doing stunts and film and TV full time you know, 300 days out of the year nonstop. Jam has really been just like a community center and we literally just take the money and dump it right back into Jam. We sponsor, I think on our sponsored list right now, I have like 150 people I sponsor. They get to train for free at Jam in exchange for just helping out, posting videos, tagging us and stuff like that. If I charge those 150 people per month, it's a crap load of money that I could be pulling in, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome though. Because... Yeah, people like you doing that does make a huge difference. Like, pretty early on from when Nathan started UTX, then he let me and Ahmed train there for free. Yeah. yeah. Like, whenever he wanted. And if he hadn't been that supportive to us, I didn't, I had like no money at the time. Like, one time I walked five miles to the gym because I genuinely couldn't afford two pounds bus fare. So it was, it made a huge difference it being free. I would, I'd only have been able to train like once a week if it wasn't. So, yeah, like what you're doing it could just lead to someone else like getting really good at tricks and then they do the open their own gym or I don't know. There's just so much potential with doing that. Yeah. 100% man. I've, I've seen it firsthand myself. Like obviously we sponsor a bunch of the, you know, upper level top tier athletes that, you know, everyone follows and and that's why they get it. But we've also, we, we are constantly on the lookout for up and coming guys. And we, you know, we see guys that are there training at the gym seven days a week and driving, you know, I had one kid that used to drive, I think two hours each way to the gym. So it'd be a four hour round trip drive to the gym. And I'm like, that is, that's crazy, dude. You know? And then we, we have some other kids that, you know, that you could tell that they literally get off of work every day and no matter how late it is, they'll then drive to the session, even if it's like 10 o'clock, just to fit in a 30-minute session at night, you know? So we're always on the lookout for, for up-and-coming kids like that, and, and nothing makes me happier than to see their own progression and stuff like that over time. That's sick. So you started, started in 2010, right? Yeah, my first gym was White Lotus, which was 2010. And then we closed that one down and moved to Jam in 2013. And we just uh, changed the name because White Lotus was my parents' martial arts school. And I kind of wanted to just create my own thing that was known, you know, separate from their martial arts system. So Jam's a good name for it as well. Thank you, dog. It took me forever to think of joining all movement Jam, dog. And then when it clicked, I was like, that's it. We're going with it. <laughs> it's so good, man. Um, and so like, yo, so one of the things I, I got to ask you, and we can stay away from this question if, if you need to, but... Um, over time, have you seen, uh, KTL continue to grow even with the increase in number of competitors for lack of a better term? Like for example, I know adrenaline worldwide has started putting out tutorials and they draw upon some of the same athletes that you have on your site. Are, were you affected by that at all? Or are you still seeing yourself continue to grow during this time? Uh, it's not, it's not affected growth at all, honestly. Like, yeah, the amount of members we've been gaining hasn't changed at all. It makes some things a little bit harder because I just have to be like more careful with which trickers mm-hmm. I can like get videos from because they don't want to make him videos for both. But that's not it's not like a huge problem. The way I see it is like there's so many incredibly good trickers and there's always gonna be more really good trickers. It's not like we're running out. Like there's always every day I see someone who blows my mind. I saw a guy it's do same. a combo to tornado 
swing gain a switch triple cork yesterday and I hadn't even seen the guy before like there's I'm seeing mad stuff all the time so I don't really worry about that um one of the things I do think more about because I, I don't think other paid competitors I, I don't think that's like the important thing I think I'm really competing against YouTube I've got to offer something that's significantly better than YouTube. It needs to be so much better than YouTube that it's worth people spending their money on. I, I think the other sites doesn't make too much of a difference, really. And also, it's just people knowing about it. Like, rather than there being a finite pool of trickers that we're kind of, like, trying to get members from, I see it as, like, there's a whole world of teenagers and kids and adults as well who would be interested in tricking but just haven't been exposed to it or don't believe that they can do it. So I think it's more about reaching those people rather than trying to go for this. Yeah, it's just not a finite supply of people, especially on the internet where it's everyone in the world, you know? Yeah, yeah. And not to mention, trickers are pretty cheap. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, that's one of the things I thought about starting out. I was like, okay, so I know trickers are the cheapest people on planet Earth. So how can I actually make this work? Exactly. I think the main thing that did allow it to work because obviously when we started it, it wasn't, it wasn't like a normal thing. People weren't really doing it. The biggest thing was the people that I like respond to in the DMs. I, I put most of its success down to that because every day mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I respond to pretty much every single DM, unless it's one that just says like, hi, anyone who's messaging me like, yo, can you give me, can you help me out with this? I respond to every single one of them and I have done since before starting the site. So I built up a base of like, hundreds of people who I'd not just given a couple of tips to. I'd had whole conversations about their training. Yeah. Like every day I respond to tons of people. So those people who have already received, like sometimes over the course of months, I might have spent hours of my time helping them for free. So those people yeah. that I've helped for free for hours of my own time, written long paragraphs and taken screenshots of their clips, told them where they're going wrong for free, those people then want to support the site. Because they see like, oh, this guy is genuinely trying to help people get better at tricks. He, he's dedicated his whole life to tricks. That's what he's into. It's, and then they're more inclined to support it rather than seeing it as like just this business that's trying to get money for tricking information. When, when they like talk to me, I think, I think that's a big part of it working. Yeah, I think so too. The fact that you're you're not so removed from your company that it still has a sense of like, you know, being very personable and being able to talk to the man behind the site is something that you can't do in a lot of businesses, you know? Like I can't log on to a site and talk to the head of Starbucks or the head of Target or Best Buy or something, but like the fact that people can talk to the owner of the the website that they want to pay for is pretty unique, man. And uh, and 13 bucks is, is pretty cheap, man. That's just like eating out two meals out of the month, you know? Just don't eat Starbucks th two times this month, you know? Yeah, I know I would have made it happen. Even when I was at my poorest, I would have I would have paid for that because it would have been worth it. Yeah, man. And more than anything, it's cool to just put something back into the community as opposed to some like giant corporation. Like we know that what you're doing with it is going to continue to just put out more tutorials for the future. And as more moves are invented, you know, more and more things come along. And with that being said, you said that there is like 300 and something tutorials right now. In comparative to like a trictionary and stuff like that, where, where are you guys at percentage wise or like trick wise? Like, do you think you have the majority of the moves done? Are there still a lot of moves on a checklist that you need to get covered? It depends. It depends how like in depth you want to go. Because, yeah, we have some like more blanket tutorials that will maybe cover like landing in mega from different tricks. Uh, 
But in terms of like individual tutorials on every trick, I don't think we'll ever do all of them because there's new ones being invented faster than we can make the videos. <laughs> totally. totally. But um, one of the things I want to do with it in the future, because as more and more tutorials become available on YouTube and the more competitors will pop up, I'm sure. Like, I want to make it more of an entertainment platform as well. I want to do more tricking entertainment content because I feel like there's a bit of a gap in the market for that. There's not much of that. Like, there's battles and there's the odd documentary, but there's nothing, there's not many, like, consistent tricking-related things that are purely for entertainment. I mean, stuff like this is, like, kind of tricking entertainment, but I'm thinking... More kind of like mini documentaries about different tricking communities and stuff like that. I'd like to do, yeah, just just to kind of capture the essence of the tricking community. Because there's people who pop up in the community who are really interesting characters. There's some crazy people, like Cork Corkson, for example. 100%. 100%. Imagine if, and Al, people like Alex Hunter. Alex Hunter needs a documentary on him. Yes, yes. If he just stopped tricking, then he, it kind of like people would. I mean, the people who had seen him would remember, but future generations would just never really know. Maybe they'll see some of his flips, but they'll never know the full story. So, yeah, I'd like to document that sort of thing and educate beginners to, like, what the community is actually like and some of the characters in it. Yeah, man. No, that's super cool. And there's obviously, like, a void in the market for it by far, you know? Like, that's part of what spurred me on to do this was I didn't see a platform that talked about like parkour, free running, tricking and stunts really in a podcast form. And so like, like you said, there's not really a lot of things to do entertainment wise on a consistent basis for tricking. You know, you'll get occasional samplers or, you know, people host, host battles and stuff like that. But I think, yeah, you're to tap into to something like that. There's definitely the market for it. It's just someone's got to be the first to do it like you, you know? Well, I, I think what you're doing as well, I think over time, that's just going to get, I, I could see it getting really big. Just because you look at how many followers, like loads of the top free runners and trickers and just movement people in general have. And if you just keep consistently getting all different people on and them sharing it over time, yeah, I, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a big thing. I can see it happening. Yeah. I appreciate that, man. Honestly, this lockdown has been one of the greatest things for us. We've seen an incredible amount of views on old podcasts during this time because everyone's stuck at home. I'm getting comments on videos from like podcast 20, podcast 12, like you're number 70. So it's like kids are going back and they're watching the backlog of stuff. And so that's the greatest thing that I can can see, you know, is that people are going to watch these forever. Yeah, it's cool. You, yeah, just talking to all these legends as well, like uh, listening to your ones with, well, with, with the three amigos and like Mike and Johan. I find it really interesting how anyone who's really good at tricks, like when I was younger, I couldn't quite see through it. And I used to think, how are they so good? But it always makes sense. It kind of always makes sense. Like, like take Mike, for example, and it's like, oh, he had his own gym to train at and was doing this many hours a day. And he like, started in martial arts as a tiny kid. So he's super flexible and maintained that flexibility. And it's like, it makes sense. And Jacob Pinto and Johan, just yep. the amount of work he puts in, it, it, it always makes sense. There's no real anomalies. There's no one who's just good just because of it just for the sake of it you know there's always things going on behind the scenes and that gives me a lot of hope that's what made me think that i can get good at kicks i just gotta put in an insane amount of work on it 100 percent, man and like you said you're one of the people that i know a lot of kids in our community are going to watch this and be like how did the owner of trick lab get so good and they're going to hear that during university you were training three times a day like 
that that doesn't just happen by luck that you get better. Like you had to train three times a day and continue to train at this point, 10 years, you know, in the game right now. And at this point, after 10 years of being in tricking, how often do you trick now? You kind of mentioned it earlier that you try to train almost every single day. Is it multiple sessions per day now or is it just like one dedicated session? Well, I can't, I can't do as much tricking or it just wrecks my body. <laughs> yes. Um, what I can do, well, I still, I try to dedicate two to six hours a day towards training. Wow. But that doesn't necessarily mean tricking. I always do, like, in, I count, like, stretching in that. I count even having a hot bath and then, like, using my massage gun afterwards. Mm -hmm. I count anything, like, going for a run or weightlifting or any, like, body weight conditioning. I just count anything that I'm doing with the goal of improving my tricks. I count as training, and I try and make sure I do two to six hours of that every day. I normally do at least two hours stretch in a day because I'm realizing more and more that flexibility is such a key to so many things. And not just like kicks and variations, like I used to think, and I know a lot of people think, but actually for power moves as well, it makes a really huge difference. Like I've recently been making the, well, it's the best tutorial I've ever made. And I've spent about 60 hours on it so far, but it's about gain a switch because I, I know a lot about gain a switch. Yes. But one yes. thing I realized, like whilst, whilst making a point, is how a gain a switch isn't a full flip. I already knew that. But if you think about where your chest is when you leave the ground and then when your where your chest is when you land, you've done like just over half of a flip usually if you're doing a good mm -hmm. gainer switch. If you get in like enough arch in your back and enough leg separation. And then I looked at a clip of me doing it in 2014 and I realized I used to do like one third more of a flip every gainer switch I did. Ah. So that's, I, I know I'm going off about gainer switch. But that's why I put so much into flexibility because I was like, well, if I could do even more, if I could do like an over split, then I'd only have to do like less than half a flip in the air. So it's like the more flexible you are, the more efficient your movements are. Stuff like aerial and raise, you just don't need to do anywhere near as much in the air. So I, I think it makes a bigger difference than like explosive power really because it makes moves way easier like being like having a bigger range of motion. I don't know. I think people know it's important, but I think it's more important than people make out even. I think it's like hugely important. Yeah, I think you're right. A lot of people just associate flexibility with like, oh, that's why that guy is able to kick higher than me. But like you said, I think it does translate to a lot more flip moves as well. I remember one of the things that was like a eureka moment in my brain was uh, back in the day when I used to do Webster's. That used to be like one of my favorite tricks. And I could land it standing straight up, but... Um, when I would watch Luke Brodlick do his Webster, I'm like, yo, he's like kissing his shin before he even leaves the ground. And then he's arching and kicking out before he's even like fully rotated over. And I realized like, oh, this dude's got a crazy flexible back right now that I just don't have. And, uh, once that clicked, I was like, oh my God, a lot of this is back flexibility. It's not just how hard I'm kicking my leg, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You just, there's just so much less of a move to do. Like I was looking at, um, like some gymnasts do like front aerial and I worked out how much of a flip they did in the air and they did I think it was like 60 degrees of rotation which is a one sixth of a flip so yeah. Yeah. when you see gymnasts do front aerials like again and again super easy I used to think like how are they kicking back hard enough to do a straight front flip from pretty much nothing when really 
they're just doing like a sixth of a flip. They're barely doing anything. So, yeah, it just made me think about how flexibility could completely change the way we look at tricks as a whole. Like, at the moment, there's no really high-level, like, power mover who's insanely flexible. I guess Aiden Kennedy's the closest thing. But in the future, if someone could, like, gain a switch, for example, if you could do way more than a split, if you're way past split, you could take off and you could be like almost in a bridge. You could see the ground yeah. and then yeah. you can just split your leg over and you're only doing like a third of a flip. So you could probably just keep going for ages. You could do like 30 plus because you're using barely any effort, like barely any energy. And oh, yeah. I think you oh, yeah. see that in the future, like super flexible trickers who take things to another level because it's just so much easier for them. Yeah, I see some guys do like a uh, makaku swing throughs and I'm like, dude, my back does not work in that way at all. And it's kind of like you said with the front aerial, like I think for the longest time, a lot of us associated front aerials with being a move that gymnasts and dancers do, or like that's a girl move, but it's not a girl move. It's just their flexibility lends itself and caters towards doing it. And that's why they're able to pull it off so much easier than a lot of us guys, you know? Yeah, for sure. And, and I think um, just with female tricking as well, I think that's where, that's when we're going to see female tricking like hit a new level when it's more focused around using like their insane flexibility because girls can get they can get more flexible than guys it's easier for them to get more flexible and they should use that to their advantage well someone someone will use that to their advantage truly and like really shine invent a load of moves that like imagine an aerial helicoptero if you're in like a full split the whole time that would actually be easier to do like if you had strength through that range of motion, be easier to do because you'd be most of the way around the aerial when you take off yep. and it would look incredibly sick. I think there's just so many moves that no one's flexible enough to do yet, but someone's going to do it. Yeah, 100. And, and dude, I mean, a classic example is I have a bunch of homegirls that I will never be able to Gumby the way that they can Gumby. Like I just, and after shoulder surgery, I'll, I don't even think about trying to Gumby anymore, but I watch them do like 17 Gumbies in a row and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm done with that move. <laughs> yeah. You got to, um, I don't know, you really got to suit the tricks to your body as well. Don't you? Cause I think about that with like Gumby, like whenever I do Gumby with like somewhat okay technique, then it just really hurts my body. <laughs> yes. it's not that flexible and my hips aren't that flexible. And, um, yeah, so I try and focus on the tricks that like kind of work better for my body. Ah, okay, yeah. And I just had a recent conversation with someone on the Jamcast who basically told me that one of their big uh, takeaways also on Gumby, besides flexibility of why they thought theirs was so good, was that they used to do right-sided cartwheels, but then switch their tricking side to the left, so that inherent right-sided touchdown when they went to Gumby was there and they said that they had the same conversation with Guthrie about it too. And he kind of said the same thing as Alex Hunter as well, that like they all used to do right-handed cartwheels, but then switch their tricking side to the left so that their Gumby's inherently is easier because they're used to the right left touchdown. That makes sense. That makes sense. Pretty much everyone who gets like Gumby and, and TD rays as well. They normally Webster like kicking that same leg backwards as well, kicking the same leg mm-hmm. they would for, uh, yeah, for Gumby. Like I kick the other leg, so I always found B-twist stuff much easier. Like, double ah. B-twist, I actually, this is the one move that I learned freakishly fast. I landed double B-twist my second attempt. What? I landed one hand down, second attempt I landed it, and then I could just do double B-twist after that. Other moves didn't come as easy, but 
yeah, because I web stood all the time, kicking that same leg back, then B twist stuff was like quite easy for me to pick up. But the other leg, now that felt like horrible to kick back. That's taken me like, yeah, the last eight years to get comfortable kicking it backwards. Yeah, and, and that's something that I struggled with too. Like I, uh, I Webster with my left foot on the ground where I kick my right leg to Webster. Same as my aerial, I kick my right leg on my aerial. Uh, but one of the people that unlocked something in my brain a long time ago, besides Dan Perez saying that everything's pretty much a raise, was uh, Donovan Sheehan. I don't know if you remember him. But Donovan Sheehan used to have one of the prettiest Websters in the game, but he also was one of the best at doing the blockbuster, which was carry raise. And I used to ask him, like, why are you so good at this carry raise? And he's like, it's the same kicking leg as my Webster. I do right foot on the floor, and I kick my left leg to Webster. And on my raise, my right foot's on the floor, and I kick my left leg. And I was like, oh, my God, I do the total opposite. That's crazy, you know? It's the key. And I think, like, knowing, knowing these things now, this is why I think tricking, like, it's already at a crazy level, people like Shosei. But I think in the future, it's going to get so much crazier because, like, 10 years from now, people starting, they're just going to know all of this shit. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. right from the start. Like, they, you'd get better so much faster. I just think about, like, if I knew, if I had access to, like, my website when I first started, <laughs> it would have taken me, like, a quarter of the time. I would have got everything so much faster. I wouldn't have just, like, trying to do aerial by trying to do a really high cartwheel. <laughs> Yes, dude. I, I could, dude. I, if I was back in the day, I would have signed up for your website too, man. Back when I was started tricking back in the end of the nineties. I mean, dude, we had no idea how to learn any of these tricks. We didn't have slow motion cameras. We didn't have YouTube. Like we literally were just eating crap on the daily. And like, dude, it took me, I think I'd been tricking for almost 10 years before I did my first double cork. Like that's stupid. I know kids that Shosei did double cork in his first year of tricking now. Like it's insane, you know? Yeah, it just keeps getting easier and easier for people to learn. <laughs> 100, man. And now, I know that um, uh, one of the things that I've seen is like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you've said hurricane kick is one of your favorite kicks out there. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's your favorite trick to do? Is it gainer switch? Or what, what, is your, what, what gives you the most satisfaction that you still drill the most at this advanced stage of your career? Hmm. Interesting question. Hard, hard one to answer. Because <laughs> it changes, it changes. I do like I like gainer switch, but like not a single gainer switch. I like if I'm doing a load of gainer switches, it it feels really cool. It feels great every time, and doing them really fast, it just feels cool. It's not really, it's not too tied to like my actual tricking goals though. Yeah. Like yeah. when I think of the combos I'd like to create, they aren't just gainer switch again and again. But <laughs> I just love the feeling of doing gainer switch again and again. So, um, yeah, I really like doing, like, raise and touchdown raise, actually. I think it's because I found them so hard to learn. Every time I do it, I'm just like, yeah, I can do that now. Because I genuinely got to a point where I, like, gave up. I gave up on touchdown raise. I, like, I was like, I'm just not going to be able to do this. So me learning it and me being able to do it now whenever I want, it's just such a huge thing mentally for me. It makes me feel really good just because it was so hard for me to get. That's cool to hear, man. And what what is your uh, official record on gainer switches? I've seen you do a crap load at Loop Kicks Live and, and stuff like that online, but I've seen you do 10 on concrete easy. So what's your record? Uh, I've done 21. Wow. I want to do more, though. I, when I get back in the gym, because I'm, yeah, I, I want to try, like, I want to try for the world record, because I know the spring floor world record is 20. I'm pretty sure it's 25. I think it's 25 or 26. Yeah, it's one of those. I huh? always think, is it 26? But I'm, 
I, I know Fareed did it, did like 28, but that was down a hill. So outside, yeah, outside. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, some people try and count, like, no, some people try and argue that that would count for the record, but it's like recording a 100 meter sprint record when one guy's running down a hill. It's like, yeah, it's not the yeah. same thing, really. It's cool. It, like, it's, it's sick doing 28 gainers down a hill, yeah, but yeah. you can't really count it for the record. It's like, it's like I, being on a trampoline. I, it's different. It's a different thing. I agree with you, man. And, and so a question for you. When you did your 21, uh, what was it that made you stop? Was it lack of floor space? Because I know that's Dominic Lewis's biggest complaint is he can't find a floor big enough. Or was it like exhaustion? Because I've talked to Bailey Payne. Bailey says by the time he's on cork 27, his lungs are literally on fire. Like he, he can't even physically do anything anymore. He said it's too much. Um, for me, it's, I, I lose my sight is the main thing, which worries me. I, I think I was near the end of the floor then, but I kind of wasn't trying for more because I knew I'd already like pushed past my record and I was like, yes, and I kind of gassed out of it. But um, yeah, normally for my last two or three gainer switches, I stop being able to really see what's going on. So I'm kind of doing them blind and it's, it's scary and I can't really feel my body as much. It, for the last few, it's like I don't feel the ground on my feet. I'm just trying to just be sure that... I, I'm still doing gainer switches. In my head, I'm like, yeah, you're still going. You just, just keep doing the same thing. But I can't see anything, and I can't really feel anything. So it's basically like muscle memory at that point, kind of kicking in and saving you. Yeah, the last ones. Like, I used to worry about space, but I've kind of trained to a point now where I can, I can control where I go. Like, I, I can do gainer switches going, like, forwards across a whole lane. Like, I don't know. I just understand the gainer switch a lot more than I used to now. So I think I could break that record like without needing a bigger floor, really. Like, yeah, Damn. I just need the right day. I want to get back on it when I'm back in the gym. That would be super impressive if you're able to break the, the record inside on one floor. That would be insane. I know people would freak out about that. I'd love to do it. If, if I broke the record, then even if someone broke it the next day, I'd be like, whatever, don't, don't care. I, w I, I wouldn't like really be trying to break it again i just want to have had the record at some point especially after what i did to my ankle from a gainer switch as well i just feel like it would mean a lot if i went on to break the gainer switch world records you know damn and, and when you broke it what was it inside or outside and what was it caused by was it stress or a bad landing it was um there was a hole in the floor oh. there was a, but i don't i don't blame the floor for it i blame my stupid self because I knew that there were holes in the floor, and I did it anyway. I, I didn't battle because I was like, no, there's holes in the floor. I'm going to America next week for two months. I'm not, I don't want to get injured. So I didn't battle. And then Alexander Anderson does shuriken cut a scissor, and then there was a break. So I was like, oh, I'm too hyped. And I did 10 switches to double cork, and it felt great. I like dropped out of it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do 15 to double cork. Then I broke my ankle. No way, man. And how long were you out for from that injury? How long did recovery take till you're tricking again? Um, well, it was... How long was I? I was in the cast for like six weeks. And then it took me about a year for me to get to the point where I could like triple cork off the ankle again. It took a lot of conditioning. Because I injured my ankle before, it, the same ankle, in 2013. And I was out for a year then. It was like a bad one. So... This one was quite hard to recover from. And it's like now I'd say I'm at the point where it is actually fully, pretty much fully healed. It's like two years later now. Okay. Okay. But yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it took a while. 
it's crazy, man. Injuries are one thing that people don't take into account in their timeline, and it can definitely change a world of things. I, I, I remember I was cursed like the last decade. I've had three knee surgeries and a shoulder surgery in the last 10 years. And so like it pretty much takes like a year off of your training schedule minimum for each of those surgeries, you know? And so like, I've just been in this constant uphill battle, get injured again, uphill battle. So, um, I'm glad that you're taking care of yourself. You know, that's the thing people forget as well, though. It's not like you heal and then you're just back where you were. You've still got to like build up to where you were before. So really the whole process of like having a major injury it's just such a setback. It's made me realize that, because before I hurt my ankle, I was going kind of too hard, like overtraining a bit. I kept getting all these different little injuries because I was just trying to force it and trying to do tricks like nearly every day. But um, it made me think, yeah, you can work super hard. You could trick six days a week if you want. But the guy who tricks one or two days a week and then doesn't break their ankle is going to, they'll get better than you in the long run. So I'm trying to think more long term now, like, yeah, maybe I'll only have like two free tricking sessions a week and I need to focus on not getting injured because in the long run, that's the main thing. Not getting injured comes above everything else in terms of progression, really. Yeah, man, the injuries are tough because not only does it set you back from a physical standpoint, but I know personally I've had to deal with a lot of like mental issues coming back. Like after shoulder surgery, I was terrified to do touchdown raise and touchdown raise is my only setup at this point in my life. So I was like, I got to get this back, man. But like one of the things that like I, uh, that I always tell people about injuries is that like the first major injury will really tell a lot about a person and their love for the sport, whether or not they actually put in the time to come back to it because it changes a lot of things. And that's one of the things that I'm curious about is like, what's going to happen to show say, if he ever experiences like his first major one, you know, I know that's one of the things like the first time Pinto had a knee surgery, we're all like, what's going to happen? Will he ever be the same again, you know? I wonder. I mean, luckily, I think when you get over a certain, like, hump, when you get to a certain point, it's kind of safer. Like, I'd say, because Shosei is so strong at this point and so controlled, he's probably a lot safer than other kids his age who are, like, just starting. You know, like, how Mike kind of hasn't... I know he injured his ankle a couple years ago as well, pretty bad. But for a long time, he didn't really have any, like, major injury. Yeah just, you know, that, I, yeah, just that broken foot at loop kicks like ages ago, you know? Like, I, I think just being really controlled like plays a huge part. Like Personally, I think being really in control when you're training and just the way you approach tricks is going to make a bigger difference to avoiding injury than the conditioning you do. In my personal opinion, because I think you, you can condition and be as strong as you like, but if you're doing tricks in a sketchy way and you try and like double back on grass when you're not ready and stuff like that you're gonna like you're gonna hurt yourself whereas even if your body's not super strong if you're in control of every single thing you do like i don't when i got my first triple cork since injury i landed it first try first gainer switch triple cork first try first dub uh, dub dub first try i just prepped everything so much that i just wasn't gonna fall i wasn't risking like landing short on anything and i don't really risk it now I like make sure before I do something new, I know I'm going to land it. There's not like a chance I'm going to fall on it. If there was, then I wouldn't do it. That's like the smartest advice ever. I give people that in parkour, especially too. It's like, if you don't think you're capable of doing it, you probably yeah, shouldn't do like, it right now. Yeah. Like build up to it and stuff. Uh, patience is the key. When with your, with your knee surgeries, were they all on the same knee? Uh, so that's a good question. I just had this talk with Bailey Payne cause I see him out here doing all these hyper moves. 
I tore my left one first, had surgery on it. So then I came back and started doing only hyper moves, tore my right one because of that. And then I compensated again, went back to the left too much, tore the left one again. Dang, that's, that's so, rough. It's rough, man. And I currently have no meniscus in my whole left side, which is my swing leg, which is why you won't catch me doing a single swing through. Maybe I'll do like, you know, uh, a B-twist swing or something like that. But like doing repetitive swings, I have no meniscus in my left knee. So it's just bone on bone. It's just, it's, it's, it hurts. I tried to do like a couple switches and I'm, I'm done for like the night. You know, it hurts. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I wouldn't want to be doing it with no meniscus. <laughs> yeah, it's wild, man. It's not just being old. I don't have a meniscus, guys. That's the reason. Um, and so for someone like you that everyone kind of like looks up to in the community, you know, as like a, a figure that's like, you know, uh, a very prominent figure in tricking, who do you watch at this point in your life? And do you still get inspired by other trickers out there? Or where do you find your own personal inspiration at this point in your career? Um, so... In terms of like watching videos of people online, I've become a lot more picky now than I used to be. Me too. <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> it's because it's not that I'm not impressed. Like pretty much anyone who's good at tricks, I'm like, damn, that's sick. And especially if I see people in person, like you don't even need to be that good. <laughs> if it's if it's like somewhat decent tricking, I'm I'm just hyped to see it because I'm a flips enthusiast. You know, I just like seeing tricks. But nowadays. I don't watch, I really only watch the people who have like incredibly good technique. So I watch like Mason Rowley and Eduardo and like Michael Guffrey and Ilya, though there's no new footage of him, but his old stuff. I just like watching people who do like every trick in their combo really well. I know there's people who are like super good or like overall and higher level, but I really appreciate people who are doing every single trick great. Because I think if you do a really nice combo, but one trick in it, like you do a snapper or something and your legs all bent or you land in short, I think it ruins the whole combo for me. I don't know. I'm a bit of a perfectionist with stuff like that. Like it, it puts me off when there's just a couple of things wrong. So Ethan Turner as well. I've been loving his tricks lately. Me too. I've been watching a lot of Ethan Turner, a lot of uh, Jordan Alexander and stuff like that. But I love clean tech in form. It's just, it's some, something that to be said about it. And at this point, what, what personal goals do you have? Do you still have any personal goals in tricking besides like the, uh, the gainer switch record or trying to improve your kicking? Like you said, yeah, I'm still, um, still cooking things up. I've kind of okay. changed the way I look at tricking as a whole now. Like one thing, um, one way I like to explain it is like, imagine that you could purchase tricks. Like you could buy a tricking combo or buy a perfect jackknife or, buy like a dub 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 or whatever and that's kind of like how tricking is because you buy tricks with your time every single trick or every single combo you do is going to take time you've got to put the time into it and you everyone has a limited amount of time even if you trick till you're 80 you're not going to be tricking there's going to be some point when you're not tricking when you're gone <laughs> yep. so yep. i'm like particular about what i train I like think of my dream combos. I try to think of things where no one else is really doing that specific combo. It might be similar to what people are doing, but something that's different in some kind of way. And then I've been putting a lot of work in towards those like different things. It's still in the kind of early stages because I only started training this way a year ago. So it's still coming along, but like getting helicopteros and I, I want to do combos that kind of mix together weird extended flexible movements and kind of high level like kicks with lots of kicks in. <laughs> I like 
I like hurricane kick. I like like cheat nine doubles. I'm not very good at them, but I like how they look. I like kicks where people do like multiple kicks in the air, like scissor rounds and all of that. Rather than, I much prefer that to like a cheat twelve. Like cheat twelve is still cool, but I much prefer multiple kicks and less rotations rather than more rotations with one kick at the end. Yeah, so I want to do combos nice. with like hurricane kick in there and like an aerial helicoptero, and then it ends up having like a gainer switch triple cork in as well. So th that kind of mix is what I'm going for. And I would like to do, I'd like to do cork in on the floor one day, and I'd like to do quad cork. Those are my only two power goals. I know they're sketched for my ankle, and it's going to take a while, but I would like to get them done before I get too old. Damn, that, that would be awesome, man. You still got some time, though. I mean... <laughs> Comparative to some of us, you still got a few years in the bank, you know, <laughs> and you still got a meniscus, so that's good. Yeah, if I'm just careful and smart and patient, because the way I'd approach it, like if I was going to do cork in or and quad cork, I'd do both of them on the trampoline like thousands of times. I want to be able to get on the trampoline and like if I wanted to first trick, I can just do it and I can do it every single time I try. And then I can do like the preps on the ground perfectly. Like I could do a triple cork with an extra half rotation every time. And that's when I'll be trying it. I'm not, I'm not going to be hooking any of these things. Hell yeah, man. No, that makes a lot of sense, man. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I, I've, I've seen a, a definite change in your combo choices over the last year. Kind of like you said, I am starting to see a lot of the moves like you're saying, implementing multiple kicks or a helicoptero variations in the middle of sequences while still having power. And so it's dope, dude. I'm greatly looking forward to it. And now knowing that you put in this much time stretching every day and things like that, I'm sure that your style is just going to continue to develop over time. It's awesome. We're lucky to watch it. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I hope it does. Oh, I hope yeah. it gets to where I want to take it to. I feel like I just, I know how to train a lot better than I used to. I used to like work really hard, but I, I wasn't like the smartest about how I approached it. But now I'm trying to do like a mixture of both. Still work really hard, but be smarter about it as well. Hell yeah. And now I won't get into this because I know that you and Omid covered this at length on your own channel about like should tricking be in the Olympics and all this stuff like that. But uh, so we can stay away from that. If you guys want to hear that, go check out their own show that's online on uh, IG Live and stuff like that. But um, what do you think about the current state of tricking right now? Do you think we're in a good place? Do you think that we need to do anything specific in order to help it continue to grow? Or do you like the, the current state of affairs in our world? Um, I'm quite happy with it. I like, I like how there's more gatherings than ever and they're getting kind of bigger and better in lots of ways. Um, I think there's a lot of potential for tricking to like get a lot bigger and I think it will. If you just look at the amount of views that people were getting on videos like 10 years ago compared to now and how big of a following and how much influence like the top trickers have compared to what they used to have then I think in another like 5-10 years tricking is going to be like much much bigger the way I'd like it to go is I think maybe there could be some kind of Olympic tricking in the future but I think maybe it would have to be a different kind of tricking mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. like you have sport tricking that's like it's a bit more regimented so it can be judged fairly it's like it's a little less about the creativity and more about the skill but then also yeah. anyone can just practice like the the art of tricking as well so whenever people bring this up there's always someone who's saying like yeah but what about the creativity and it's like people can still just be creative with their tricks the same way they're doing now just the people who see it as more of a sport and a skill thing they have a way to like compete against each other pretty much yep yep i agree with you 
I, I agree with you. I, I agree with a lot of points. And I listen to your guys' talk as well. And so I, I encourage everyone out there in the community, if you guys are really into tricking, you guys have been having some really great discussions over there on a lot of topics. So go check them out and stuff. And uh, we've talked at length here, and I don't want to eat up too much more of your time. But like, besides Kojo's Trick Lab, and obviously that's something that you can include in your answer right here. But uh, what advice would you give to someone that wants to get into tricking? And where would you tell them to start? And what advice can you give out there to some tricker that may be struggling right now and feeling like he's at a plateau? So for starting tricking, I think personally the butterfly kick is a great move to learn from the start. Because there's other more foundational moves that you need to learn too. But butterfly kick, considering how easy it is, it looks pretty cool. It's like the first, it's the easiest cool looking trick. And I think it's important when you're starting that you can do like one thing that looks cool. Because it's hard to go out and train. If, you, if you're just working on rounds and hooks and you're terrible at them, then you just, you don't feel good when you're doing it. So... I'd say learn butterfly kick first so you have something that you can do that's like an actual move and then fill in the gaps with basic kicks and stuff. You can turn a butterfly kick into an aerial which you can turn into like a load of other things. Yeah. So I think that's a good starting point. And for anyone who's dealing with a plateau, I think it's good to acknowledge that they're normal, that every single tricker has them, no matter how good they are, everyone has plateaus. Some people just don't share them. Like, I'm sure even Shosei, he's had periods where he feels like, oh, I haven't got better this last month. I'm sure it just happens to everyone at some point. So I think the important thing is to not focus on the results, but focus on what you're doing. Like, I, I try to do that. Don't, I try not to think about how good I am at tricks right now. I try to think, how well am I training? Am I training hard? Am I training smart? Am I working on my technique and, like, really trying to improve? If you focus on that, focus on the process rather than the results, then it doesn't matter if you plateau for a month because you're still doing, you're, you're winning, you're doing the process right. And eventually it's going to pay off. It always pays off in the end. Yeah, man, you can, there's no substitute for hard work and hours of experience. Like you're not just going to inherently get better without putting in the work, like you said. So that makes a lot of sense. And now before we get out of here, one of the questions I always ask everyone that comes on here, and you may have an answer, you may not. Um, but where do you see yourself personally in five years from now and 10 years from now? Oh, okay. So five years from now, where I'd like to see myself, because I'm cooking up new, new business plans as well. <laughs> I'd, uh, I'd like to, okay. I've been scoping out different places to move to because my, my girlfriend, Scar, is from America. So um, I, I'm not super into living in the UK anyway. Like I, I like it, but the weather's not that good. Sun is a huge thing for me. All I need, I don't need much money. If I have a warm day and some grass to train on, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty set. So I really want to move to Portugal uh, because it's incredibly oh. cheap. You can get like a nice house there for incredibly cheap. They've got houses for like 40 grand, like a three bedroom house like, to buy. It's incredible. No way. And because I'd be working online and just traveling for work, then I don't need to commute. So I'd like to get a house that's like an hour away, an hour away from the, the city so it's even cheaper and then I have some land around it, get a home spring floor, have like the hot tub. Yeah, I want to have a home spring floor, hot tub, house with some land around it and I can just work on my tricks, do my business stuff online, travel and teach at events and, and just be there with Scott. That, that's the dream. And then get to a point where I could like have kids and my kids will be born in a house with a spring floor and they will become the best trickers of all time. 
I've thought about this. I've thought about this at length. And people always say, like, oh, you can't force them into it. You you mess them up and all that. But I've, I've read up on it about how to... It's not forcing them. You've just got to be smart about it. You've got to, like, breed them mm-hmm. to love it. That That's what I want to do. And I've practiced with, like, kids that I've taught just to see uh, different techniques of, like, getting them into tricks. And I think, yes. give me another five years, I'm going to be able to get my kids into tricks. I'm going to have so much technique knowledge. They're going to have the perfect setup. They're, they're going to be the best ever. Like, you make kids go to school. You make kids learn to read. All of that's boring. You make kids learn math. That's boring. Tricks are fun. Yep. Easy to make a kid do tricks. Dude, that is awesome, bro. That's so cool to hear. And it's kind of like, you know, I, there's a lot of athletes like, you know, LeBron James, for example. His son right now is one of the best basketball players in high school. And it's like, well, yeah, his dad's one of the best basketball players in the world. That makes a lot of sense to me, you know? Yeah, and it's crazy because whenever you see that, like when I was younger, I used to just think, oh, it's like the talent passed on. He's like, you'd think, oh, does he have the basketball gift? When it's like, no, he's just around someone who's a true expert in that sport. So they're going to be, his dad's going to be able to teach him like the mindset and teach him all the technique that he needs to know and how to go about training. Like that's what it is. It's not that it's just passed down the genetics that's making it happen. Though obviously I'm sure being tall helps with basketball. <laughs> probably about, but with, with other things, it's more just about, yeah, what they can teach you rather than genetics. In my opinion, I don't know. <laughs> No, that's super cool, man. That is that's a super unique goal. Out of seventy jamcasts on here so far, we have yet to have an answer like that. So that is like one of the most unique answers we've ever had. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah, you can always you can expect unique from me. Hell yeah, dude. And so, yo, man, I really got to, again, I got to thank you on behalf of the community for everything that you're continuing to do with Kojo's Trick Lab to, you know, responding to people individually and also for, you know, dedicating this much time out of your Friday night. I really, really appreciate it, man. So um, before we get out of here, can you just let people know where they can follow you and stay up to date with yourself personally as well as, you know, KTL? Yes. So my Instagram is at Sam underscore Kojo. And the Kojo's Trick Lab Instagram is just Kojo's Trick Lab. Check out Kojo's Trick Lab on YouTube for some free tutorials to get you started. Got like Butterfly Kick and Aerial and a bunch of other stuff on there as well. And the Omid and Kojo show is what you want to search on YouTube to find my talks with Omid. So check those out as well if you're interested. Hell yeah, man. And again, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, everyone, go over, check out KTL if you guys are looking for ways to improve your tricks. And uh, it's something that I continue to share with people around the world, man. So I'm stoked. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hell yeah, man. So guys, please be sure to hit that like button, comment, subscribe for brand new episodes each and every week. Join us every Monday for Jam Breakdowns and every Friday for brand new Jamcast, interviewing influential members of the movement community like Mr. Sam Kojo Plummer himself. So as always, guys, I got to give a very special shout out to our guests this week. Once again, thank you so much, Mr. Kojo, for coming through. And as always, guys, coming at you, coming through, I'm your host, Travis Wong. Thanks for joining us here on another Jamcast. Until next time, we'll see you all soon. Peace.